Let us pray. O gracious and loving Father, we come now to seriously consider your word. And I ask that you take the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart and make them wholly yours. That as your word is considered, we might together grow in that sanctifying grace that matures us to be more and more like Jesus and less like the world in which we live. So feed us now. Help us grow together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome back. Um, If uh, you haven't been with us the last two weeks, I've started yet another series on the book of Acts. Um, Sorry, but not at all. Uh, This is Mission Insight 201, which means at one point there was a Mission Insight 101. And then, of course, all the other stuff that happened before that. So we're, we're in Paul's second mission to the ends of the earth. Now, the question that's guiding our series and the question we will consider every single week is simply this. What insights about Paul's second missionary journey can be identified and applied to our present mission at Christ Community? And that also includes the present mission in your own life, in your own sphere of influence. For God has, God has placed you exactly where he's placed you in your life so that you can be, um, you can be Jesus to those uh, with whom you're in a relationship with. Now, if you recall last week, it was the first uh, sermon on Philippi. This will be the second sermon on Philippi. There won't be a third sermon on Philippi. Things didn't end so great last week, right, for Paul and Silas. So now we're going to get to the thrilling conclusion to Philippi. Now, remember from last week that, that Paul and Silas were falsely charged by Two angry slave owners in a response to Paul's exorcism of a divination-practicing slave girl. They owned this girl. She made them lots of money. Finally, Paul got upset with her, got tired of her calling things out. And so he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, be free from her. And the demon that was in her left her, and she's suddenly no longer making money for the slave owners. And they were angry. So they had the two missionaries brought before the local magistrates. They weren't given any kind of trial. Instead, they were beaten severely by the lictors. Lictors are Roman soldiers armed with rods. They were beaten over and over, bruised, bloody, and nearly dead. The feet of Paul and Silas are shackled to the wall of the innermost cell of the jail in Philippi. Locked away securely for the night, the jailer went to sleep. Now, how do you reckon Paul and Silas responded to this abuse and imprisonment? Well, the text says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Praying and singing hymns to God. Wow. Wow. I mean, no doubt their sides were bruised up. They probably had a broken rib or two, and they're still singing. And praying. Immediately the first insight I see, and I think it's something we can all apply to our lives, is this. The Lord will comfort you in every situation when you access His grace. 
The Lord will comfort you in every situation when you access his grace. Now, that's important because that requires not just you to go, Lord, fix me, but for you to actually participate in what it is God has given you by grace through faith. Here, they are praying and singing. You should know that praying and singing are grace actions. Grace actions given to us by God so that we can experience his grace. Just like when we study the Bible, that's a grace action God has given us that we can draw closer to him. When we worship, it's a grace action. Here they are singing hymns and praying. But you know, grace actions aren't just for us, right? I mean, what brought comfort and strength to Paul and Silas also served as a mighty witness to all of the other prisoners in there. From the back of the cell, the the furthest cell, the dungeon of the dungeon, Paul and Silas were singing and praying, and all of the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Now, you know, earthquakes are not uncommon. And they certainly aren't uncommon for the region in which Paul is in. But every, y'all listen, every prisoner's chains coming undone at the same time and every prison door becoming unlocked and opened simultaneously as the result of an earthquake, that's uncommon. Here's the insight. The Holy Spirit, the hero of Acts, manifests the power of the living God. That same Holy Spirit that comes into us and saves our souls, that Holy Spirit is everywhere present. And in this particular case, the Holy Spirit comes upon the scene, causes that earthquake, doors fly open, chains come undone, prisoners can escape if they want to. Because the Holy Spirit has manifest the power of the living God. Well, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners escaped. Now, you should know, if if a jailer let prisoners escape, the sentence was death. So he just thought he'd cut out the middleman and not wait on any sentence and just go ahead and knock that off himself. But from the back, Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Now before you see the next insight, one would think maybe God had caused that earthquake to save Paul and Silas. But he did not. God did not cause the earthquake Miracle to save Paul and Silas. He did it to save the jailer. God caused that not not for Paul and Silas, but for the jailer. The jailer thought all the prisoners must have escaped. He was prepared to kill himself. But from the deepest recesses of the innermost cell, the voice of Paul is calling out saying, Don't kill yourself. We are all still here. Wait, wait. 
The jailer called for the lights. Rushed in, he fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out. He brought them out, and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, in Methodist circles, probably 10 to every 10 to 15 sermons, I bring these terminology, these, these, these terms up to you because, quite frankly, we tend to forget them, and most Methodist preachers have forgotten them themselves and don't preach them. But I think it's important to just throw this out here real quickly, that, there, that our understanding of grace is threefold. There's prevenient grace. That's the grace of God that goes before people and invites them into a relationship. There's justifying grace. It's the grace of God that saves someone's soul when they say, I believe. Then there's the sanctifying grace of God. This is the grace that matures us. Okay? In this moment, we can see that God has created a scene of provenient grace. See, God's provenient grace, and that's the insight, God's provenient grace was calling the jailer to make a faith decision to be saved. In that moment, in that moment, the grace of God has led this jailer to come to Paul and Silas and say, what must I do to be saved? This is provenient grace. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. Now here's an insight, and it's going to give you freedom. If you are supposed to share the gospel of Jesus with someone the Lord will create the opportunity. Don't get me wrong. Paul and Silas, they were witnessing. You know, they, they'd been praying, they'd been singing, simply their lives in Jesus was a witness. But when somebody specifically wants to hear what you have to say, they will come and ask you for it. And at that moment, Paul and Silas, they shared the gospel with this man, and he was saved. Not just him, but as we see, his whole house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy. Because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Now here's the next insight. God's justifying grace saved the jailer and his whole house. Now I don't think we appreciate that. I mean, uh, Kurt, how big is your house? How many people live in your house? Uh, three people and two dogs. Three people and two dogs live in Kurt's house. That's five people, really. Right, because the dogs are people too. Right? Some of you have four people in your house. Some of you have two people in your house. But in the ancient Near East, households were often multi-generational. Okay? So imagine, imagine your children and your grandchildren and your mother and your father. And if you have grandparents, everybody's all in the house together. Add to that household slaves 
which most people of any kind of means had some. The jailer probably had enough money. He may have had some household slaves. Everybody in the house, those who could speak for themselves and those who could not, everybody in the house was baptized. And it says that the jailer, the jailer was literally filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, which evidenced his conversion. Now, we don't read that about anybody else, but we see here the jailer was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. There's something else that's really neat about this passage that I think is often overlooked. And it's a great reminder for us, especially as we war with one another in our country right now over politics and race and everything else we want to fight about right now. And it's this insight. The love of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit is the great equalizer in human relationships and in broken systems. See, there's more people at the table than just the jailer and his two prisoners. But simply think about that. A jailer and his two prisoners. I've never known a corrections officer to have prisoners from the prison into his home and eat with them. You ever known a police officer to do that? I've never known anybody to do that. This man took prisoners out of the darkest depths of of that prison, took them to his home in response to what God had done for him, cleaned their wounds, they baptized him, they are all seated together, jailer and prisoner and household slave and mama and and, and children and, and, and grandparents, they're all together at the same place, made equal, made one in Jesus Christ who is the great equalizer. Well, as night became morning, the magistrates sent their lictors, their officers, to the jailer with this order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Go in peace, he said. Isn't that awesome? The Christian, uh, the Christian jailer now offers a Christian farewell. Go in peace. <laughs> but Paul said to the officers, huh, no, 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 no. They beat us publicly without a trial. Even though we are Roman citizens. And then they threw us into prison. And now, do they, they, they want to get rid of us quietly? Uh-uh, no way. Let them come themselves and escort us out of the city. Y'all listen. Here's an insight. When an opportunity arises to address an injustice, take it! When an opportunity arises to address injustice, take it! Now, look, let's balance the Christian force here, shall we? 
Sometimes we Christians get so hung up on injustice that we think we should always prophetically be addressing justice or injustice. Like, like more than one pastor has stepped up to a pulpit and delivered sermon upon sermon about social justice. Now, there's nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong with preaching social justice. So long as we remember that primarily we are called to preach Jesus and to build and edify his kingdom. Now listen, if the only thing that we ever do is rail against injustice, right? I mean, we see people all the time in our nation that just rail and rail and rail. It's called the news. Every side just rails about the injustice of the other side. If the only thing that a preacher ever does from the pulpit is rail against injustice, then everyone will stop listening to that preacher. Just like everyone will stop listening to a congregation that only rails against injustice and doesn't offer the solution that is Jesus Christ. If, however, we will primarily focus upon building God's kingdom, then when an opportunity comes along, and they will come when an opportunity comes along to address injustice, people are going to be more likely to listen to us. You know, Paul and Silas, they could have revealed their rights. They could have revealed their rights as Roman citizens a whole lot earlier than at this moment in the passage, right? But had they done that first... Had they said, hey, we're Roman citizens. Had they started railing against the injustice of the situation, the other prison inmates, the jailer, the jailer's family, they would have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and that jailer would have never been saved. Instead, instead, they first presented the gospel. They did what the Lord led them to. And then, when the opportunity came to address injustice, they addressed it. Well, the officers reported to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed, and they should have been. So they came to appease Paul and Silas, escort them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. I can just see it, right? These two fellas all dressed up in their finest, they come and... Oh, gentlemen, we are so sorry. We didn't mean to beat you to nearly to death. Right? It was certainly some misunderstanding on our part. Because what they did was against the law. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. Now look, (laughs) I like that. The highest officials in the city come to to escort Paul and Silas out of the city, and they're like, uh, okay, I'm going to do this first. Listen, here's the insight. When the Lord gives you leverage, use it. When the Lord gives you leverage, use it to advance the gospel. Oh, Paul and Silas, they had some leverage now, Right? They might have wanted to get Paul and Silas out of the city as quickly as possible to avoid any more of this and to not themselves get in trouble for having done what they did to Roman citizens. But Paul and Silas said, uh, thanks but no thanks. We have the power now. They leveraged it against them and they went back to the church first. 
Paul and Silas now had the upper hand. They used that leverage to their advantage so they could advance the gospel. And how did they do that? Did they go and, and continue to witness? No. Instead, they went back to what, to what they had planted and they encouraged them. They went back to the, this new Philippian church, the one that has Lydia in it now, and the one that probably has that slave girl in it now, and the one that has the jailer and his family now. He, they went back to that church to strengthen them, to make sure they were okay, to encourage them. Now remember, I, I've talked about prevenient grace in this sermon. I've talked about justifying grace. But here what we see is sanctifying grace in action. Sanctifying grace is maturing and growing in your walk with Jesus. See, Paul and Silas wanted to ensure the church was stable and that the new Christians were growing in their walk with Jesus. And once the two did that, well, they got back on that road and they started heading for the next place, which we'll consider next week, Thessalonica and Berea. And that's God's word seriously considered this day. For the Church of Christ community, all thanks and praise be to the living God now and forever. Amen. Hey, thanks for checking out the So What Factor. My name's Randy Bennett. I'm a United Methodist pastor, and these sermons answer the question, I hope, so what? So what? Is God real? So what am I supposed to do with my life? So what does the Bible actually say? So in every sermon, it's my hope that you'll figure out what the so what is. But if you don't know, or it wasn't clear, feel free to find me on Facebook at Randy Bennett Jr., and shoot me a message. You can also email me at pastorrandybennett at yahoo.com. Be happy to hear your questions and, and, uh, and connect with you. So thanks for listening. Take care and God bless.